the record button has been pushed. Boom. The, I love pushing that being button. Being recorded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Dude, we got to stop doing these early morning shit. <laughs> this is like it's me. our only option. Right? I know. <laughs> Sucks, man. Sorry I have a real job. <laughs> you know, so well, I'm going to be getting one pretty soon. Fuck everything up. So. I'm going to be getting one pretty soon. It's going to suck. Probably have to cancel the show. I hope not. <laughs> Katie says all this stuff. <laughs> Sorry, man. Real world. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Salty Nerd Podcast. I am your host, the Salty Nerd. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing historical adventure movies, classics like The Last Crusade, The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, you know, the good one, and National Treasure starring Nicolas Cage. And I am joined, as always, by my illustrious co-hosts, Matthew Vader, at MattVader74 on Twitter, the barbarian himself. What's up, man? Also on Twitch. Also on Twitch. Instagram. Grinder. <laughs> Jude, <up>, dude. <laughs> Jude told you not to make those jokes anymore. <laughs> She's, trouble. she's not here to check you on it. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm good, man. Everything's fine. Good, good. I'm also joined by the author extraordinaire and producer of the show, Matthew Kadish, at Matthew Kadish on Twitter. What's up, dude? How you doing, Junior? <laughs> I told you, don't call me Junior. <laughs> All right. Before we, we name the dog the salty nerd. Yeah. <laughs> nerd. Nerd. Would you name a dog nerd? It's an all right dog name. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everybody you guys can help support the show. Go to saltynerdclub.com. Uh, you can pick a tier. We have all kinds of cool stuff available for you there. We have blooper reels. We have exclusive podcasts just for the patrons. Uh, so consider joining. Our goal is to make it to 1,000 Patreon subscribers. That will help us to do this full time so that we can offer you guys even more and even better content. So consider joining uh, one of the tiers uh, over there. Throw us a little bit of cheddar. That's saltynerdclub.com. Yeah, and um, when you do join up for our Patreon, you get uh, extended show notes, you get blooper reels, you get uh, Patreon-only episodes. So if you like our content you want more of it, uh, the Patreon is a good way to go. That's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. There's a ton of content there. I keep trying to convince you to do a booby stream for the patrons. <laughs> I thought it was just I'm working I on thought it. it was just the Matt Vader making an ass out of himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's what they pay the big bucks for. It's the stuff they cut out of the show that's yeah. it's too embarrassing to <laughs> put out, in the, real put world. out in the real world. You gotta pay five dollars to hear Matt Vader talk about his yeah. pooping experience. <laughs> and honestly that's our best content. It really is. Yeah. It's unanimously agreed with our patrons that our patron content is the best content that we put out. So consider that and consider helping the podcast out and support us and uh, a special shout out to our newest Patreon, the Price of Reason. Thank you, sir, so much for your help. Yes, thanks, Price. Really appreciate it. Glad to have somebody like you on the crew, on the team. Is that a thing I had to say? I got to say thanks to Price. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be polite. Thanks, dude. Thanks, there Price. You go. You're the man. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Enough fluff. We are talking about some fantastic movies this week. This week was my week to pick, and I have to say that this is the best week of the month. Do you disagree? No. Okay, good. That's what I thought. This is a pretty freaking good week. All right, we're talking The Last Crusade starting off. Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade starring Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. My God, what a fantastic movie. It never gets old. I could watch it a million times over, and I have. It's the third best Indiana Jones movie. No, sir. But it's still pretty good. No, sir. It is. (laughs) It is. I'd put it at number one personally, but I could understand why somebody would put 
Well, the first one's movie perfection. It really is. <laughs> but I feel like this one's pretty damn close to perfection as good. well. There's only one, th- and we'll talk about it's it in pretty, a minute. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. But there's only one thing in it that I think has uh, <laughs> pretty, 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 laugh. Laugh. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Always wanted to throw one of those yeah, in. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right uh, all right, so let's get started. Matthew Kadish, why don't you tell us what The Last Crusade is all about? Okay, well... Basically, it is the third in the Indiana Jones series, and the synopsis is, After his father goes missing while pursuing the Holy Grail, Professor Henry Indiana Jones Jr. finds himself up against Adolf Hitler's Nazis again to stop them from obtaining its powers. This movie was released in May of 1989. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Jeffrey Bohm of Interspace fame, and stars Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, and Allison Doody. It had a budget of $48 million, grossed $474 million worldwide. <laughs> it is considered by Steven Spielberg to be his favorite of the series. Ah, yeah, see, I agree with Steven Spielberg. It's was by it, far the best one, Was it I think. only eight years between the first and the third movie? I think it was... Um, Oh, between the first and the third. Yeah. I could have sworn that this one was like five years after. Yeah, but I'm just talking like the whole stretch of time between the first and the last movie. I don't remember when they came out. I just, I I wasn't around, but. I guess, you know, when (laughs) it just seemed like it took, that was a long stretch, but I guess it really wasn't given some of these other. Well, the, the development of this installment took a long time because they were trying to figure out what story to tell. See, what happened was after Temple of Doom came out, Spielberg got a lot of criticism for how dark and violent it was. And so uh, when he was, like, he had basically had a three-picture commitment to Indiana Jones and and George Lucas. So he was on the hook for one more. And when he decided to do this one, he wanted to kind of atone for the darker direction that uh, Temple of Doom went in. So he wanted to make this one a lot more lighthearted and it was his idea to have it based around a father son relationship. Yeah. Cause that, that's part of Spielberg's brilliance is bringing like, you know, family elements that everyone can connect to, to his movies. Uh, Indiana Jones hadn't gotten a whole lot of character development over the course of two movies. He was just kind of like a James Bond type character where it was just a, an archetype mostly. Yeah. And this one actually, like we learned so much about Indy in, in this one film. And I think that, you know, that was very intentional on Spielberg's part because yeah. he wanted people to connect more to the character and he wanted people to laugh more and, and have more fun and not be so violent and gory and dark. And uh, I think it was uh, mostly Lucas who was bringing in the um, the adventure part of it. I think when, the, when you look back at the interviews and stuff, Spielberg wanted to go in a completely different direction and Lucas was like, no, I think we should focus on the Holy Grail. Spielberg didn't want to do that. First of all, Lucas wanted it to be a haunted house picture. That was his original idea was he, he wanted Indy to be in a haunted mansion mm-hmm. and Spielberg had just done poltergeist. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to do that. Again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, um, so, but they were like tossed around a bunch of ideas. They, they had something like seven different screenwriters come on board before they brought on uh, Jeffrey Bohm, who came up with the treatment that they eventually ended up going with. 
Um, but like there was like a lot of stuff like Indiana Jones battling ghosts in Scotland and <laughs> like uh, uh, for a while there it was called um, Indiana Jones and like the the monkey's tomb or or something weird like that the golden monkey yeah. curse of the golden monkey. You know Spielberg was worried that uh, by doing the Holy Grail that they were going to get people confused with Monty Python's movie and that he was like I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, also um, so like when it was considered you know like the the monkey title um, it was based around like African mythology. And uh, Spielberg was afraid that they were uh, going to be way too racist. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, because all the all the villains were like these like black people who were like you know this African tribe that were protecting this golden monkey shrine or something like that. How is that any different from the Aztec people that were down South America in the first movie? Well, I mean, they weren't the main villains. Like, 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 like the, these guys would take the place of the Nazis, basically. So like mm. they they were like the the villains throughout the movie. And so he, he was he was just like, ah, I don't know if I'm comfortable, you know, yeah. making well, African natives out to be bad guys. <laughs> he fought a bunch of Indians in the in the second movie, so had to yeah. go back to Nazis. Nazis are, are an easy everybody nobody likes Nazis. Yeah, every, Nazis are an easy target. You can go after Nazis and nobody's gonna feel bad about it. Yeah, and, and Hitler made a, a little guest appearance in this movie. This was one of the like okay, so I was <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty well. And it and it also has the best line out of the entire franchise where he's just like Nazis. I hate these guys. I hate these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that opening scene real quick with uh, River Phoenix. Because uh, I best opening scene to a movie. It was right. such a fun. Really? Like you don't like that scene. The I train. Mean, I, I like it fine, but it, uh, best ever. I don't know. I don't, Out of all maybe, three of the indie movies, well, yeah. or maybe four. I don't I don't know. Know. Technically, you guys like indie three more than I do. Like, I just so. I thought it was such a great setup. Yeah, for once I'm like on board with Alex on That's this fine. one. Like, like my, my, <laughs> I don't, I don't my, hate the movie. My ranking movies. goes Last Crusade, uh, Raiders, Temple of Doom. Don't talk. Don't, and that's don't it. say it. Th- th- that's those right. are the only movies that <laughs> that, is that is correct. That is correct. Funny. Anyway, so the, the opening scene, I always, I always love the adventure of it. Like this is the one time. And I think River Phoenix was at that perfect age where I felt like it was pretty believable, even though he didn't win, which was also a good thing. Like you had this kid, but he was, how old do you think he was in that? Like 16, 17? 15 or 16. Yeah. Something like that. And he's, you know, he's running away. He's not like going toe to toe with these guys. He's just running away from them yeah. and outsmarting them, outwitting them. Like we learn things. Like so why he's afraid of snakes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. How he got the scar on his chin. Yeah. yeah that was cool. I liked his it. first hat. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny that he just, he was like emulating this, this character, this guy that he meets and he's like and, a rival. And you know, like the opening of, of the, the movie. So like, he Spielberg shoots it in such a way where we don't get to see any of the boy scouts like clearly. And when we go into that, that cave, we think that that's Indiana Jones down there. Yeah. And then it very slowly is revealed that like, this is someone completely different. And then we see river Phoenix and it's like, and somebody, somebody calls calls him Indy. Yeah. So like, we're, we're like, Oh, this is a young Indiana Jones. But what was interesting is that, so that character who is the, the guy who, had like basically looks like Indiana Jones at the beginning and it's his crew that chases Indy through like the, the train and follows mm-hmm. him home and stuff like that. So I didn't know this until I did a little bit of research, but that character is supposed to be Abner Ravenwood. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Who, That's Marion's dad. Marion's dad That's and Indy's cool. mentor. What? Because he was the guy, like if you remember in um, last crusade, um, they, they make a big point to say that Indy studied under him at the... You mean in the in the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes, yeah. in Raiders of the Lost Ark, that Indy studied under Abner Ravenwood at like some university, and this is how they met. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I, I love learning stuff like that about these movies. I, how come that's like not pointed out in the movie at all? Be, because the character um, is 
is credited as um, Fedora in, in the yeah in the, in the credits, which is the hat. The name of the yeah, hat. The is. name of the hat. Um, the intention was that like that was the first meeting between Indy and Abner Ravenwood. And, wow, and, that's really and cool. Ravenwood was so impressed with what Indy did that you know he took him under his he wing. T- takes him under his wing, and, Dude. And, and like that. That was kind of like the the, the moment where. Indy kind of moved away from his father's tutelage and into Ravenwood's tutelage. Yeah. Interesting. You're called fish archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> like I love learning stuff like that. Dude, that's so cool. That gives such a great context yeah. to him and Marion's relationship yeah. too in the first. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it because designer looks furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Money is the number one cause of stress and the number two cause of divorce. Make your money go further and work harder with a certified financial planner from Facet Wealth. Financial planning used to focus on retirement, but Facet helps you with today. You get a dedicated financial planner that guides you through every financial decision. Inflation, interest rates, stock market changes, home prices. How do you figure it all out? Well, every advisor at Facet is a certified financial planner and fiduciary. That's just a fancy way to say they have the best training, and they're legally bound to do what's in your best interest. This isn't just about investments. It's about taking care of your money so you can start living a better life today. Facet has a simple flat fee, no hidden charges, and with nothing to sell, there are no commissions. Visit TryFacetWealth.com for two months free off your first year of financial planning. That's T-R-Y-F-A-C-E-T Wealth.com. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Movie. Wow, that's amazing. You know, speaking of the first movie really quick. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to derail us. Oh, we can talk about the whole trilogy. I've watched that movie (laughs) 100, probably 150 times since it came out, you know. And uh, I was watching it just last week. And for some reason, it finally just now clicked that all the kids that come into the bar and save Indy when he's about ready to get killed by all the by all the Arab guys in there after he talks to uh, Belloc. Yeah, I, I never realized those were Salah's kids. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought they were just a bunch of street rats that he got to go in there. No, those are all. But those, those are his kids. <laughs> and I I don't know why I never caught on to that, but it, it finally he has a big family. Yep. Yeah, it, it's just like it, I just clued into that one part of that for some reason it mm. just it was it was funny did you like binge the whole trilogy this weekend or no oh, okay no, that was it was just it was just one of those things it was on tnt or something late night and i was laying in bed if indiana jones is on when i'm flipping through the channels it stays on it stays on <laughs> yeah, for <sure>. absolutely um <laughs> so one of the things that i that endears me to this movie is the uh the relationship between um harrison ford and sean connery which i always I thought they played off each other perfectly. Yeah, like the, the comedic timing and just the the reverence that Indy has for his father. And he, he's kind of like this stubborn, like, I really don't like you, but man, like you can tell that he loves his father still. Mm-hmm. Like there's a really great relationship there. And I think one of the things that um, really draws me to that, those two characters is just how they play off of each other throughout the whole movie and how they go on this adventure together. And I always thought it was funny that when uh, when they presented this script to uh, to Sean Connery, he actually turned it down the first time because he's only 12 years younger or older than uh, Harrison Ford. And he's like, I, I, he didn't think he'd be able to play his father adequately. Is, is he still around? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's still alive. So he's in his 90s? He's, he's retired. Yeah, he's been retired for like, what, 10 years now? Yeah, but yeah. how old is Sean Connery now? He's yeah. in, his, in his 80s. It's got to be. So if, if Harrison Ford's 80 right now, right? Or 79. So that means Connor like 92. Yeah, Whew, man. Yeah, he ain't going to be around much longer. 
But he's been out of the game for quite a while. Yeah. His last movie was what? Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was the last movie he did. I think that might have been the last big. That's the last movie I remember him doing. Yeah. He was out of the game after that. Yeah. Remember, like he did that because he turned down a role in The Matrix because he didn't understand it. <laughs> he was supposed to be Morpheus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my god. I don't think I could have seen him as Morpheus, especially not considering all the stuff that he that character did. Anyway, um, I always thought it was funny because like you don't really think that Harrison Ford's that old. He looks pretty young in this movie, but he's only 12 years younger than Sean Connery. Well, he was twice as old as everybody else in star Wars and nobody realizes that. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, um, so Steven Spielberg, he, like he's always been a big James Bond fan. He, it's always been his dream to direct a James Bond movie and he's never been able to accomplish that. So when he was making the Indiana Jones movies, he was like, this is my James Bond. And so he always wanted to put Sean Connery in one of the movies. And when he finally got this chance, like the, the big, um, kind of end joke on the set was that James Bond is Indiana Jones's father. I always thought was was kind of interesting. So it, yeah, that was one of uh, Spielberg's dreams was to direct a James Bond movie. So this is like his his best way of doing it, which I, I mean, I know the, the, the two franchises are very different, but when it comes to like James Bond versus Indiana Jones, which one would you rather watch? Oh, Indy, totally. Yeah, like I'd, sure. I'd, I'd watch an Indiana Jones movie. Somebody's like, hey, we're going to watch this, you know, Here's James Bond uh, from Russia with love. Or do you I mean, want to I know, watch? I know people that would choose otherwise. But, yeah. And that's fine. They're both awesome franchises. So. Yeah. A lot of fun. I just always thought that I think because he wanted to do James Bond, I think he did better than what most, especially for that time period in the 80s. We'll, we'll have to do a James Bond week for, oh, for sure. the show someday or, or month. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even though um, th- this movie was credited to Jeffrey Bohm as, as the like screenwriter. Um, Tom Stoppard was actually the guy who like wrote all the dialogue for the movie because Steven Spielberg brought him in to kind of punch up the dialogue, bet- especially between Indy and, and his dad. And St- uh, for those of you who don't know who Tom Stoppard is, so like he wrote Spielberg's movie Empire of the Sun, but uh, he's gone on to write stuff like Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he, he might have even won an Oscar for that. Um, but basically, like when Spielberg, you know, wanted to deepen the, the relationship between Indy and his, and his dad, we need the humor, but we need the tension. Like it, it can't be like kind of like sappy and hackneyed. So like he brought on the best like dialogue guy that he he could, and uh, Stop Stopper didn't ever get a credit for the oh, movie. Really? Yeah. Like um, he got paid something like one hundred twenty thousand dollars. But like uh, Spielberg has gone on record and said like every line of dialogue in this movie was written by Tom Stoppard. He did such a bang-up job, man. There's some some great back and forth between Indy and his dad. I love that, especially the scene where he's like, I should have mailed it to the Mox Brothers. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I came here to save you. Oh, yeah? Well, who's going to save you, Junior? <laughs> it was just like those those lines consistently throughout the entire movie. And I, there were one of my favorite scenes uh, in the entire movie is uh, when they were on the blimp together. Yeah. It's so great. Like, um, my, one of my favorite lines is on that uh, that blimp where he uh, knocks Vogler out the, the window <laughs> yeah. and, and he just turns everyone who's looking at him. He's like, no, no ticket. ticket. <laughs> and it's like flashing yeah, the ticket. Everyone grabs their tickets. And, yeah. yeah. The humor in this movie is on point, man, because it, it rides that line of like, it's just campy enough to be fun and yeah. a great adventure movie, but it doesn't go overboard where it like takes away from the seriousness of the situation. I just, it's, it's a perfect mix. I, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. And, and even like... Like there are like three instances in this movie where Indy and his dad acknowledge that they bang the same chick. Oh yeah. 
and, and, and like, <laughs> like, like the, the reactions, <laughs> like, like the, the, the facial reactions between them. Uh, cool. That was yeah, that she was talks a, in her sleep. That was an ad libbed line when he said that. Like they were on the set and they were they were recording that scene and uh, and Sean Connery was like she, she talks in her sleep. And, he, and Harrison just looks at him like that. <laughs> and they, the whole crew started busting up laughing and they kept it in because it was just too perfect. It's disgraceful, Dad. You're old enough to be her, 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 her grandfather. <laughs> I'm assuming there's next, the next man. <laughs> it was like those lines are just so witty and perfect. And speaking of that scene in the blimp, one of my favorite things is um, Sean Connery. He's, he always mentioned that he, like, I'm, he sweats really easily. So in order to do that scene, which was based in the wintertime, and if you look at all the, the extras in that scene, everybody's wearing like big fur coats and all that stuff, and it's supposed to be in the winter, and you're in a you know, high elevation in that blimp. And uh, he was hot on scene, and he's like, if I continue this, we're going to have to stop like a million times to like get the sweat off my brow and all that stuff. So he's like, he just took his pants off. And Harrison Ford walked over, and he's like, are you going you, you to do the scene with your pants off? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, all right. So Harrison Ford. No, he was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, of course I am. Uh, Harrison Ford took his his pants off. So that whole scene where they're sitting at the table having a nice quiet drink. Pantsless. Pantsless. <laughs> they pulled a Vader. Right. No pants. Yep. I never wear pants. Yeah. What, yeah. What you guys don't know <laughs> pants is. Pants are overrated. Vader records the podcast in an underwear. <laughs> That's right. And Okay. So let's talk about the, uh, the leading lady, uh, which I always thought was interesting that she was so young. Like. They were looking for originally the casting was for a th- was 30 year, 28, 28, 29, something yeah, like that. Early 30, early 30 year old Austrian That's doctor. That's where I always kind of placed her. She was 19. What? Yep. No, she was like 23. No, not, look get, it up. She was, when they when they casted her, she was 19. Maybe I don't know how long it was before they from they from casting to filming, but when they casted her as the doctor, Dr. Hottie, Dr. Hottie, <laughs> El- Elsa, Elsa. Yeah, her the actress's name is Allison Duty. She was nineteen when they filmed it, or when they casted her. I could have sworn, like I read somewhere that she was twenty three. Fact check. Either us. way, either way, super young, which I thought was really cool because she. I think this was like her first big role. Yeah, it, so it she, was, dude. I remember when I was a kid watching this, like, I, like she was so hot. Oh my she god, was very hot. She's gorgeous. Yeah. She still is. I, I think that she's probably the hottest indie love interest that we've seen in the series. I don't know, man. Hands down. I don't know, man. Marianne's got a special place in my heart. Yeah, but she's, I don't know. She's not classically beautiful. She's rugged. She is rugged. I, I, yeah, you I, like you like those rose water rugged. Yeah. Get your nippies hard. <laughs> Marion Ravenwoods, can, can, man. Can, can drink salty under the table. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that opening scene, that that was just a... A oddly shaped woman that she was drinking against and it wasn't until recently not i mean fairly recently that i was like oh that's a dude in the opening scene of last of the last yeah, yeah I, I know what you're talking about okay it's just uh i just thought how that, could anyone think that that was a woman i don't know I, I i just always thought it was i thought she was drinking against another woman that was just like burly burly eskimo woman yep you're talking about marion yeah at the bar in yeah the, nepal yeah <laughs> i don't even know what to say <laughs> the cinematographer Douglas Slocum. Um, so like he did all the Indiana Jones movies. And by that, I mean the three that exist. <laughs> and uh, this was his last movie, the last movie that he ever did because he was uh, going blind in, in one eye. Mm. And, um, you know, Spielberg's movies that he made with uh, Slocum were just so beautiful because he was one of those classic cinematographers. He had like so many movies under his belt. He could look at, you know, a scene like outdoors with like sunlight and, and he could tell his camera assistants what F stop to put the camera at just 
based off of eyeballing it. Like he was that good. Wow. Like just skills. Yeah. Like just, you know, uh, a master. Can you explain what an, what an F stop is? So when you have a camera on the lens, there's, um, different measurements called F stops, which was, which basically correlates to how big the iris of the lens is. Okay. And the bigger the iris, the more light it lets in. So like if you're in a dark place, you want a, a low F stop, which is a big iris to let in more light. So like you get a better exposure. And if you're someplace bright, you want to have a high F stop, which is a, a small lens or a, a small aperture that lets in less light. Mm. So like a big part of cinematography, at least back in the days when they shot on film was, you know, making sure that you had the proper exposure because if an image was too dark, you know, the, the film would be unusable. If it was too bright, it would be unusable. So like when I was in film school, we'd have these light meters and we would have to go and get readings from pretty much every part of the frame to know what the f-stop is. Because if you have like, like a brighter background and then like put the f-stop of the film for that, but the actors are in shadow or something are in a place that's like less bright, um, you're going to get this uneven exposure. So it's part of the, the craft of cinematography and with video nowadays, uh, you don't have to worry about that as much because video is very more, much more forgiving than film, and video loves light, whereas film hates it. Mm-hmm. So, like in the days when Steven Spielberg was making his masterpieces in the '80s, you had to be on top of things like this. And, and uh, uh, Douglas Slocum was one of the masters of the craft, and this was his, his last film. And that makes me kind of sad, but at the same time, what a film to go out on! Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's quite the resume to have like, Hey, this is my, this is my last film that I did. And it's like beloved masterpiece. Vader, what is your favorite moment in this movie? My favorite moment? Yeah. I I hate it when you ask me these questions. (laughs) I'm never prepared. (laughs) Yet Um, he always asks. Literally, literally your job is to to have a favorite moment. I mean, I like the whole movie. I mean, I I always say that when you ask me these questions, but some of my favorite moments, probably the chase scene when they're escaping the castle. I also like the the rats in the sewer and then the library and stuff, you know, just, you know, rats, there's snakes in this movie. But, yeah. But, you know, it's, there's bugs in the second one and rats yeah, in this one. Yeah. Did you know that this Indiana Jones film has the most chases out of all the indie films? Oh, I, I believe that. Me yeah. Either. There's like one every, what, like 15 minutes or so? That's probably why it's it's my third favorite of the three because it just. You feel like, like it's too busy? It's It's, it's very busy. Yeah, it is kind of one chasing to the next. We go from the, the the train scene to the to the tunnel scene to the castle scene to the desert scene to the, <laughs> yeah chase after chase after chase. Yeah, and yet they never feel like forced. No, like, no. like, like it it flows really well. They're they're, they're good Indiana Jones. Yeah, sets one, one for of the, sure. the problems with a lot of action movies nowadays is like they'll put in set pieces because they had an idea for a set piece, and they're just going to cram it into the movie whether it belongs there or not. But with like. Indiana Jones movies, every set piece feels very organic. It feels like it's supposed to be there. I, I think this movie works really well in terms of like yeah. how many like chases. And when, when I say it's my third favorite of the three, I mean they might as well all be tied, <laughs> half a percentage points, yeah. so dividing the, the the three of them. So I feel like this movie has so many like like bits and pieces that are just like so classic. When I was rewatching it, uh, one of the things that struck me. So like, do you guys know the body count in this film? <laughs> Uh, no, I never even thought about it. All right, so apparently 50 people die in this movie. Wow. And 13 of them die from Indiana Jones killing them. <laughs> and 
And you know, you know, in the previous Indiana Jones, like we've seen him kill people before. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that, that scene in, in uh, Temple of Doom where he's on the bridge. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I think that's my favorite indie scene of all time. That, that's a great scene. <laughs> but w- what struck me when I was watching this is so like when he goes to rescue his father and the Nazis kind of corner them and, and he like grabs one of the machine guns and just mows down like four Nazis yeah. right yeah. there. His father is horrified. Yeah. What have you done? Yeah, like, like I can't believe what you've just done. Yeah, he can't believe his son <laughs> just murdered, just murdered like four guys right in front of him, and in, and it just doesn't phase Indy at all. No. Like, like like he's just like, oh, you know, I'm, Nazis. Yeah. I hate these guys. I hate these guys. <laughs> and um, so like you know, there are little moments like that that like we we've never really gotten from Indiana Jones before that are just littered throughout this movie, but also there are moments that kind of call back to those those classic indie moments like in Raiders where he like get ready to have that big sword fight with that yeah. b- big Indian guy and he just shoots him. Yeah. And in this movie, like there's a scene where like, like five Nazis like Line jump, up. jump on the, the tank to, yeah. to fight him. And he shoots the first one. The bullet just goes through all five of them. And he looks at the, he looks <laughs> yeah. at the logger and yeah. he's like, huh. yeah, he just looks at his gun and he's like, Oh, okay. Cause he, that was a Nazis. That was a not a German gun. That wasn't his revolver. That's why he was so surprised. Yeah. He was like, Holy cow, this thing is, there was there was also that cool little that cool little shot when they were in the in the sewers, where they walked by and oh, the, 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 the Raiders of the Lost Ark of the Ark, mm. and yeah. and John oh, I know trust me I know. and John Williams even used <laughs> some of the yep. theme yeah. Uh, yeah. At, in that moment, but uh, yeah, and it's funny because uh, Sean Connery gets shot by a, a Walter PPK. That's the James Bond gun, which is the James <laughs> Bond gun, and um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but okay, okay so you know Donovan, uh, yeah. the, the main bad guy in this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. so he was General Veers. In Empire Strikes Back, yep. and he was Grandmaster Pycelle in uh, Game of Thrones. I knew he was General Veers in Star Wars, um, but I, I had, I think I was in like season six or seven of Game of Thrones before I realized that it was him. Yeah, and I was like, no way! Yeah, he really transformed himself. <laughs> yeah, he did. I didn't recognize him at all, but yeah, it was really cool to yeah, see but him. He, but he's the bad guy in this movie. And mm-hmm. in fact, do you remember in our discussion about Willow, where we talked about the uh, digital morphing technology that they used for that? that movie and it was kind of like groundbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They use that in this movie for Donovan's like uh, transformation, like as, as he like, as he's decaying and stuff. Yeah. When he chose um, poorly. Yeah. When he chose poorly, <laughs> no, but, but this was the first time that it was an all digital process. So like in Willow, they had actually had to like do the, the stuff on the computer then have it printed to film and then mat it and composite it in like a digital, uh, in an optical printer. Whereas with this movie, it was all done digitally for the first time. And this was kind of like the, the foundation for what they would use for Jurassic Park. So like being able to make that leap. Yeah. Because ILM did the, the special effects for Indiana Jones movies. So you can, it's kind of interesting to look at that progression of technology um, as you watch these films. Yeah. But, but I remember as a kid, Donovan like becoming that old man his eyes like falling out of the yeah. back of his head and stuff like like that freaked me out so, like <laughs> more than I, the head exploded the th- long I think, hair i think the scenes from from raiders where they melted was, yeah that was far more terrifying oh yeah I, I used to close my eyes whenever that scene <laughs> came up and when i watched this for the first time because i remember i went and saw this in the theater and at the time teenage mutant ninja turtles was my jam like that was like i, I think i was in like fourth or fifth grade and um everyone was just all about teenage mutant ninja turtles and this came out shortly, I want to say either after or around the same time as the first Ninja Turtles movie. And so, like, I was kind of like, 
I didn't care about Indiana Jones. I was all about the turtles. And so like when I first saw this movie, that scene came up and I, I was like, oh my God, it's <laughs> the scariest thing I've ever seen. Pretty cool. <laughs> he chose Paulie. Let's talk about that guy for a second. Yeah, what's up? That character, I know everybody loves the knight, mm-hmm. right? But that one character kind of takes me out of this movie. Because he's been in a room by himself? Or- yeah. It, 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 I, I mean, I know Indiana Jones has always kind of touched on supernatural themes and everything. You know, we have the ghosts coming out of the ark and, and, you know, the parts getting pulled out of chests and stuff in the second one and yeah. zombies and stuff. And But there being a thousand-year-old knight in this cave in the middle of the desert, it just, it took, that that took me out of this. Really? It did. Hmm. And I, that's... It's not, like, what was like, he doing the whole like time? It's not like it's a huge deal. <laughs> and I get it, it's fine. But that one thing is this, like, that's probably why I rank this movie third of the three Indiana Jones movies. And I, I don't know. I can't explain why, yeah. but it, 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 it throws me off. So, you know the thing that kills me about that guy? So he, he's a, a Knights Templar who's been isolated in that cave for a thousand mm-hmm. years, but he can speak perfect English. Right? Yeah. Like, shouldn't he be speaking Latin? Yes. Something, at least. Something else besides, you know, American. <laughs> <laughs> American English. American English. I, I will concede that although this is my all-time favorite Indiana Jones movie, there is things about it that are a little off. And one of the things that I can't help but notice nowadays is the uh, the plane scene when he's escaping the blimp <laughs> with the CGI or the green screen background where they're supposedly flying through the air. I think they were still using blue screen back then. Maybe, yeah, blue screen. And at, they were flying through the air, but Indiana Jones and his father both have hats on. Yeah. And they're outside of the cockpit, like, you know, sticking their head out, looking around. And there's no wind whatsoever in that scene at all. And I'm like, man, like, couldn't you just put like a fan in front of him or something? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, also, like during the tank scene, it, well, that was all that was well, mostly practical. Well, but Harrison Ford kept losing his hat. Oh yeah, because he's he's riding around these horses really fast, and like they they tried everything they could think of to keep his hat from you know falling off his head. I think Harrison Ford at one point joked, he's like, just staple it to my freaking head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Dude, there's a I, there was a behind the scenes uh, video of him actually doing that. I don't think there was anything in like, the stapler. Like, yeah, he mimicked it. Yeah, but he had the stapler up against his head and he was putting it on the hat. It was pretty <laughs> funny. But uh, yeah, that was, like there's a couple of things that don't age very well with this movie but over it's just so i love it so much i can't yeah there's so many clever things in this movie like like when so like when he's teaching his class at the beginning and he, he's like you know x never marks the spot in yeah archaeology and then when he goes to venice and he uncovers his x dad's clue it's like x marks the spot like, yeah <laughs> there, there's so many sophisticated little things in in the film that like when you stop and think about it you're like wow this is so well done yeah it was really well put together the wood stamper yeah <laughs> <laughs> he looks at his stamp yeah there's Always some really there's yeah, yeah. some funny clever moments well, there's in the, boat scene. the boat scene the boat scene yeah. the boat chase there's all kinds of chases. oh there's this movie is there's nonstop. There, yeah. there's a train chase there's a boat chase there's a horseback chase there's Motorcycle a tank chase, chase. there's a there's a plane chase a motorcycle chase what about the boat we're not going to use the boat <laughs> I think the others, I think my favorite line from this movie has got to be the, the one where he's like, I think they're trying to kill us. He's like, I know dad. Well, it's a new experience for me. Like that scene. I think he's just trying to like figure out. I'm trying every, every single, every single Sean Connery, every single Sean Connery line I can say, I'm going to say, I think you've done it. No, Uh, I I, I think the best scene in the entire movie is that final tank chase where, um, yeah, because you know, it it reminds me of the, the classic, like, you know, 
uh, truck scene in, um, in the first Ra- one. Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is like one of because you got to remember, like back in the eighties, like all this stuff was practical. Yeah, like they didn't have they like, built the, that thing out uh, of steel. Yeah, it was did, real. They, <laughs> they didn't have like the CGI that we have today. And Harrison Ford, you know, like for this movie, he did almost all like his stuntmen had to come to him and be like, uh, "Mr. Ford, can we like please work today?" Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like doing all of his stunts and. Um, but uh, like the originally that scene was supposed to be much shorter and Spielberg kind of like got inspired or whatever. And he started storyboarding out this like big long sequence because he wanted to be like, oh, what if we had like Indy's father in the tank and Indy was outside the tank and they were both having like their own little like struggles and they, they kind of converge and like, so he got super excited and he storyboarded out. And what was originally supposed to take two days ended up taking something like a week. Yeah, to, to it was film. like eight days or something, Connor, yeah. Connery said. And like that scene where... Um, like Harrison Ford is kind of caught on the side cannon and he's kind of running into the, into the wall, into the wall. Um, you know, that's actually him. And they had like crew members just like throwing dirt on him as like (laughs) pass by, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. So like, like, you know, Harrison Ford was like, you know, he was almost at a Tom Cruise level of doing his own stunts on, on, on this movie. But that scene, like, I I feel like it's the pinnacle of, uh, an Indiana Jones adventure scene. Um, because it was just so elaborate, but like there, there were so many like emotional factors at work where you're seeing like the father and the son and like they kind of come together and they end up saving each other. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, the, the Nazi Vogel, um, yeah. who, uh, is played by, um, Michael Byrne, who's just, he was born to play a Nazi. Yeah. The guy just looks like a Nazi. Like it was just such a great, like antagonist for Indy to go up against and, uh, you know, the whole scene was just, I think, fantastic. And then, like, when it goes over the cliff and, and they all and think Indy died and he, he, like, climbs up and he's, like, all disheveled and he, like, looks over there. He's, like, what's everyone uh, yeah. what's everyone, <laughs> what's everybody at? looking at? <laughs> and then they're, like, oh, you're alive? All right, let's go. We got work to do. <laughs> they're, like, no time to rest for Indy, which I think is is a key component to this whole movie is Indy has, like, no breathing time whatsoever. <laughs> but it's a ton of fun. Anyway, we could talk about this movie for hours. All right, guys, uh, before we move on to the next subject, I want to remind everybody you guys can help us out by getting some merch. You can go to saltynerdstore.com. Saltynerdstore.com will take you to our merch store where we have all kinds of cool T-shirts there. And uh, most recently, I've been doing a little a little uh, fun project. I've been making campaign T-shirts for presidential yeah. elections. Election season. <laughs> Election season is coming up. So if you want to show your support. But, but these are people I'd actually vote for. Yeah, these are people <laughs> that you want to vote for. This is... I I've got a, a Riggs and, or a Murtaugh and Riggs uh, political campaign uh, t-shirt available to you guys right now. Uh, and then also the the most recent one was Kadish's selection was a Tango and Cash uh, mm-hmm. political campaign t-shirt. So if I'd you vote for those guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's a buddy cop uh, theme. Can you imagine uh, Mr. Uh, Tango as uh, <laughs> the president? Yes. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is <laughs> like Brooks Brothers. Too. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. I can. I can see their, I can see their campaign already. And I, I, I I'd vote for him 100%. I'd love to see the debates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Merton Riggs versus Tango and Cash. There you go. Anyway, so you guys can go to saltynerdstore.com and pick up those shirts right now. They're available to you guys. Yeah, uh, they're very cool shirts. We have a lot of cool shirts. I've on, been working really hard. On uh, the merch store. And, you know, you know, like, so for those of you who listen to the podcast, there's there are the in-joke t-shirts and then there's the, the pop culture t-shirts. And uh, uh, Alex uh, ordered some t-shirts for Jude recently. One was uh, original Scream Queen, I yep. believe. 
but uh, she's been wearing the 80s tits t-shirt nice. <laughs> <laughs> like like she came up to show me uh, the shirt the other day and she's like are, are the boobs googly enough <laughs> i was like they look pretty googly to me. <laughs> they were way off yeah when i was designing it i showed her one version where they were just a little bit off and she's like no more and i'm like so i, adju- <laughs> I adjusted them and then i sent her the new version she's like more and i'm like okay so they're like way on the other side it's really it's a lot of fun yeah, so we, we have a lot of fun t-shirts on there so if, if you guys want to support the podcast and get something cool out of doing so uh, please check out the storefront uh, and alex that's where his creativity gets to shine so he's very happy it. about I'm, it i'm addicted to it man i sit in my control in my little studio and i, just... I, I would argue we have too many t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about now uh the mummy yep okay we're going to talk about the 1999 film the mummy with brendan frazier the good one the, yeah the good mummy the good mummy i movie. didn't hate the bad one the tom cruise one yeah, it's okay and it wasn't as good as this well, one. No, not even. <laughs> we'll talk about that at some other yeah, we'll, we'll show in the future. <laughs> so uh, again, this is like one of my favorite genres uh, to talk about these movies with the um, the historical like mythology behind them, and then this one you know adventure go has to go and navigate all these mythical you know. I really like movies that happen in the desert, like the you know Indiana Jones desert. Well, yep. this, the mummy this is desert. Just Indiana Jones with the mummy. Yeah, you think so? Well, yeah. well, well Stephen Summers in a, in a in a good way. The way Stephen Summers yeah. pitched his idea for this was he was like, Indiana Jones meets Terminator. What? Yeah. So like, yeah, like imagine Indiana Jones having to fight an unkillable bad guy. Okay. I can see that now that you say it. You know, he's got, got a torch in one hand and his gun in the other. I mean, it's, it's Indiana Jones. So. I never really, I mean, I can, I can I, obviously there's a comparable ideology between the two, but I, I never really thought about it like that before, honestly. Well, it, it's kind of funny because so... This movie, The Mummy, came out in 1990. Well, what's it? Oh, yeah, let's, we haven't even set the table yet. What's, what's this movie about, Kadesh? All right, so The Mummy um, is basically about an archaeological dig in an ancient city uh, called Hominoptera, and an American serving in the French Foreign Legion accidentally awakens a mummy who begins to wreak havoc as he searches for the reincarnation of his long-lost love. A knock on the moon. A knock on the moon. <laughs> um, so this movie was directed by Stephen Summers. It was also written by him. It stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, and John Hanna. It was released in May of 1999 on a budget of $80 million, but it grossed $415 million worldwide. Um, it's 124 minutes long. And I got to say, like, so when this movie came out in 1999, there'd been kind of like this dearth of good adventure films. Like I, I feel like not since the, you know, probably the, the last, last crusade, crusade we had gotten something in this genre, mm-hmm. this kind of like, you know, um, period adventure genre. I remember going to the theater to see this movie and, you know, um, just kind of like a full disclosure on this. St- Stephen Summers, for those of you who don't know who he is, um, so like he he was responsible for the G.I. Joe movies and uh, also the movie Van Helsing and stuff like that. I kind of describe him as a poor man Sam Raimi. <laughs> I, like he, he's got that kind of weird um, hokey horror style to him. And uh, he, he's very much of, of a high concept filmmaker. Like he thinks of in terms of like, you know, big budget um, type popcorn movies but he's also got really bad sensibilities about like you know what makes a good movie i don't know i kind of like his movies <laughs> well, so like he 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 made one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure films which is this movie called deep rising and it's about a, a team of um of 
criminals who try to pull off a heist on a cruise ship that has a sea monster on it. Oh, yes. That's yeah. him too? Yeah, it stars Treat Williams and Famke Jensen. I love that movie. And uh, <laughs> like, like, it's not a good movie, but no. it, it is a fun movie. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. Like, uh, so like... Imagine, I, imagine what Prometheus... What is it? Uh, What's that ship that sank? The Prometheus? The Titanic? No, no the other one. Oh, the Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon, yeah. The Poseidon, the, imagine the Poseidon Adventure, but yeah, with I th- like... I think I've seen it. Yeah. This was the movie that he made that kind of got him the green light to make the mummy, right? It was like a $30 million movie that made, I want to say like a, a really good return on investment. I don't know how exactly how much it made, but I went and saw that movie in the theaters and I just had the most fun watching that movie. And so when I heard that he was doing the mummy, I was like, you know what? It's probably going to be stupid, but I'm going to go see it anyway. And imagine my surprise when I went to go see this movie and it was actually like really freaking good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, Steven Summers, like he just lightning just kind of struck and, and he just took, you know, all the stuff that he loved about adventure movies put it into this film and, and cast some amazing actors who just brought it to life. This, this movie hooked me in 1999 when I first saw it. It hooked me in the first 30 seconds. That opening five, ten minute, however long. Oh, the cold backstory open story scene yeah. in ancient Egypt with yeah. all the cool CGI, with the hot body painted. Chain. Oh my <laughs> god, dude! It's just like I want to see that movie. I want two hours of that movie. Yeah, you know that that was like incredible, and I'm like, whoa, this movie's pretty cool. This is some high end stuff here, you know. And it was, you know, I was kind of like. I like, and, I like I like the special effects and stuff, it sets you know, the so, stage and, it, and yeah. it lays the groundwork for for so few movies know how to do this anymore where basically like that 10 minute long segment where mm-hmm. like it gives you everything you need to know about like, the bad guy the, the, and the his motivation thing, it was the same thing with uh Superman the Cavill Superman movie mm-hmm. it's like we got that 10 minute movie on Krypton, on Krypton with all the cool new special effects and CGI and I'm like well, I want to see this movie. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but yeah, it's just, it was the same kind of thing there. And you get sold on the cold opens, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Right on. I think I do. That's uh, yeah. I, this movie for me, like this whole genre itself, but this movie in particular really scratches that like, like conspiracy theory in me or, or the, the, you know, the thing that i like, I'm fascinated with like Egyptian mythology and mm-hmm. all this like crazy dark magical stuff that they had back then. And what if, you know, it was all real. What if it's not speculation? What are the pyramids really for? Like that kind of stuff, like really gets me going. A lot of, a lot of people are into that stuff. Yeah. I mean, what, look at all these TV shows that are on now, archeological digs in, you know, and we're all like, where are they going to dig that mummy up? I like, remember was it two years ago. Yeah. When, when they found this, like this, <laughs> this black, this casket. black ass casket, dude, and they like opened sunk, it sunken in water and it was made out of had all these curses and shit written on it. We're all like, don't open that. Don't do it. You're going to destroy the world. Don't do it. And it's like, it's they like, opened it. They too. opened it. I'm like, oh my God, dude, there was this, I, I remember I was like enthralled with when that one came up. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I remember them opening it up and it's just filled with like, like this. We're all, we're all like kind of pissed off. The world didn't end. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> Just but soggy what, bones. What really messed me up was when they opened it. It was like filled with goo. I know. <laughs> and they like, just, you know what they did with that? Letdown. You know what they did with that 3,000 year old goo? <laughs> they dumped it in the street. I wanted want like this, this cloud of evil insects to rise up out of the, the thing and like right. destroy the world. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. This movie, this movie scratches that itch for me. So I'm like, I'm, I'm into it a hundred percent. I'm ready for it. Like, give me the mummy curse. Give me all this. And I, I love, when you were talking about the director and how he kind of came up with this idea, I love that when I was watching the behind the scenes stuff, he was really dedicated on 
um, on showing a, as much respect to the original 1930s mummy as he possibly could. Well, he, he loved that movie. Yeah. Like he's, he specifically said that he'd always wanted to direct a remake of the mummy because as a kid, that was the movie that scared him. Uh, yeah. Like when he watched it and he just grew up being a fan of, of the mummy. And it's kind of funny because the, the story behind the making of this, so universal in, in, in around 1990, uh, they wanted to basically kind of, do more low budget horror movies based around their classical, you know, uh, monsters. Mm-hmm. And originally, um, they approached Clive Barker about doing a, a mummy remake. And his whole thing was going to be like, uh, set in a museum in, uh, uh, in, I think the thirties or forties or something like that. And the museum was run by a cultist and he was trying to bring the mummies back to life and stuff like that. It was going to be like this really like dark, like heavy on the horror, uh, entry and uh, but Universal kept coming back and being like, "Look, you, you can't spend more than ten million dollars <laughs> on this movie." And so Clive Barker got kind of fed up and, and left the project. And then they went to Joe Dante, who did Inner Space and stuff like that, Gremlins. Um, uh, Joe Dante kept coming to them with scripts that they didn't like, and uh, so like they were like, uh, "Take a hike, Joe Dante. We don't want you on this anymore." And then finally, they went to George Romero who was, you know, the guy who did Night of the Living Dead. And uh, George Romero's take on this was going to be like, you know, mummies as zombies, basically. And um, but what happened was with George Romero, um, he had some type of commitment at MGM that wouldn't allow him to make this film. So they basically burned through like, you know, these these uh, three horror directors and they're like, well, what other horror directors are there? So they went to Wes Craven. Wes Craven was like, no, I don't want to work with you. Like, this doesn't interest me. And so, like, after Wes Craven turned them down, somehow Stephen Summers had heard that there was, like, you know, um, an opening to to make a, a mummy reboot. And since he grew up as a kid loving the movie, like, he always wanted to do it, but there was never an opportunity for him. And so he kind of, like, seized the opportunity. And he went to Universal, and, and, and he was like, hey, I have this idea um, it's not going to be straight horror, but it's going to be like adventure with elements of horror in it, but it's going to be family friendly. Like kids can go watch this and enjoy it. And universal kind of like was like, yay, we, we like this. And they actually agreed to give him a larger budget in order to do it. Uh, because all these other directors, they were just, they'd go as high as like 15, 20 million. And that was it. But Steven Summers was like, look, you give me $80 million. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll deliver. Give you, I'll give you the best mummy movie you've ever got. It is. It, it is, is it too. Fun. It was super yeah. fun. Let's talk about Brendan Fraser because I f- like this is a weird actor to me because I, I know him from like George the Jungle and all these like really goofy and in person he seems like a really goofy kind of jovial doesn't really take himself too seriously but when you put him in this role as O'Connell it's like holy cow man he's like a leading yeah action star man like he just fits this role so well and it was such a, a odd an odd transition f- to watch like him do for me at least. Cause I, I like he's in scrubs for a little bit. I don't know if you guys watch the TV show scrubs kind of disappeared for a while. Hasn't he? Yeah. He was well, going, he had a bad divorce or something like yeah, that. Right? So what, what <laughs> happened was he, he married a she devil and she basically when, when she divorced him, she got like this huge, like something like $30,000 a month alimony type Jeez. thing. And uh, basically he was financially ruined by, by this divorce. And I think he didn't want to work because, like, he didn't want to give her any more money <laughs> or something like that. But he also, like, 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 I, I think he also developed a 
a drinking problem. I'm not 100 percent sure. On I, that. I probably like, would have too. But like, but like, if you look at him now, he's like all puffy and overweight and kind of telltale signs of alcoholism or, or something like that. He just let himself go. I think. Yeah, but, yeah. But basically, but this was, was this was this prime. Yeah, this oh, was prime yeah, Brendan this Fraser. Is Brendan, prime. Yeah, like he looks good. He's great in the action. He's got really great wit and com- comedic timing. Well, like, well, I, re- I remember around this time, so like he was just coming off of George of the Jungle, and originally Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to play O'Connell. Was supposed to play O'Connell. Hmm. How old was he in 1999? He would have been like a teenager, right? No, no, he he had just come off of Titanic, I think, at that point. He was really young, uh, but, in that, but basically, he had committed to do the beach. Oh yeah, and and so like because of the schedule conflict, he had to bow out of of the Mummy, and so um, Stephen Summers, the movie he had directed before this was The Jungle Book, and so like he was familiar with Brendan Fraser's George of the Jungle, and um, he basically decided to cast um, him off of his George of the Jungle performance because if you remember George of the Jungle, like Brendan Fraser's like freaking ripped, yeah, you know, like he's just got the body of an Adonis, mm-hmm. and um, so like he was kind of poised to you know be an action star. And plus he was doing like very serious acting. Like, you know, uh, I think there was that one that he got nominated for an Oscar for with Ian McKellen, uh, like something about monsters in the title. Not in see no man. Not in see no man. No, that's the best Brendan Fraser movie. Better than this one. (laughs) The interesting thing about Brendan Fraser is that like he was, or he still is. He's a very talented actor. And I feel like, like Basically, he was cast because he most embodied Errol Flynn to Stephen Summers, and that's kind of what he was going for for mm. the, the O'Connell role. But also Rachel Weiss. Like, oh, my she's gosh. She's such an amazing actress. Yeah. And John Hanna, who played her brother. Um, Great comedic relief. Oh, fantastic. Like, this was the first movie I ever saw him in. And then you go watch him in, in Spartacus. You're just like God. This guy is amazing. <laughs> who uh, was he in Spartacus? He's he, like the he, main bad guy. Yeah, yeah. He he was the Dominus. He was the guy who owned. Oh, oh, yeah, the, the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. We're talking about the Stars series, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Arnold, that, that's a good series. Arnold Zoslo as uh, as Imhotep, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, you know we we know him from Hard Target, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin J. O'Connor, who's kind of like uh, the the. Uh, Robert De Niro to Steven Summers, Martin Scorsese, because uh, Steven Summers just loves putting him in his movies. Which one is he? He was Benny. Benny. Oh, uh, Benny. I, okay. Yeah, I thought every role in this movie was cast. Yeah, this extremely was well. this was Odette yeah. Fair's first movie. So, yeah, and like because of the talent of the actors in this film, it just brings it up to another level. I I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I was just thought it was funny. I was, I saw this thing about the making of this movie, and uh, they said. Odette Fair's character originally had his whole face covered with tattoos. That's the written. Oh, yeah. So, but they decided because he was so good looking <laughs> that they were only going to put two little tattoos on, on his, his cheeks, cheeks to not cover mm. up his, you know, his hot face. Yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> Stephen Summers was like, he's too sexy. We, we gotta he's got to show him off. He's, he's too got a, good looking. He's got a sexy voice too. They use him for the, the voiceover yeah. work at the beginning, the yeah. like narration part. Like, yeah, that dude's got it going, man. Yeah, you ever watch him in, um, in Sleeper Cell? No, the, la- the other th- the only thing I know him from besides this is uh, Resident Evil. Oh, he was amazing in Sleeper Cell. Really um, great actor. Yeah, the cast is on point in this. I I was just always amazed that Brennan Fraser was able to to transition from George of the Jungle to this. I was like, dang, like that's completely yeah, I think, I opposite. Think, I think this is just it's not a perfect movie, but for what this movie is, it's super fun. What what don't you like about it? Just I, I don't know. There's not a lot of I don't like about it. It's just it's not Indiana Jones. Too campy maybe a little bit but it doesn't bother me it's yeah. just, this is just a fun adventure movie and it's done extremely well you know maybe the cgi is starting to age a little bit and stuff but this was like one of those movies that was groundbreaking in a lot mm-hmm. of those 
I, I loved this, it. Uh, yeah, yep. was, there was a lot of stuff in this movie, so yeah, it was yeah. fun. Great movie. I enjoyed the hell out like of it. Like, it really captured, like, the right type of lightheartedness and humor. Like, the action scenes and were, like, really well done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the interactions with the characters were really well done. And it was fun. It was humorous. And, like, it... It just, it worked. Like you could tell that Steven Summers really pulled from the Indiana Jones series because like he just captured that tone perfectly. And it, it worked really, really well in this movie. I, I, I enjoyed what, re-watching this now, even though I've seen it like a million times, just as much as I did when I first saw it in the theater. I feel like this is one of those movies that's like a regular re- rewatch this, for me. This is one of those movies that I would like to go to the theater now. And see it? While they're showing all these old movies for yeah. a quarter or whatever and see it on the big screen again. It would it would just be a fun movie to do that with. Yeah, I mean, I mean Rachel Weiss, she's like she's gorgeous. She plays the damsel in distress, but at the same time, she has agency. So mm-hmm. like she's not all she doesn't always need someone to come save her. In fact, many times she saves like you know her companions, and she's the perfect example of like a female character done right. Where right. like you know she's not just pandering for like girl power points. You know, like she's an actual part of this ensemble. Yeah, and. Um, like uh, John Hanna's character, um, her brother Jonathan, um, like you know, he's great comic relief. But again, he has agency in there. Where like you know, like at the end, he's the one <laughs> using the, the book to save the day. Um, you must not read from the book. I love Don't man, do it. dude. The mythology in this whole thing, where they're like they're opening the book of the dead, and they have that like creepy over voice every time she reads from it. It kind of like has this background sound, and uh, that one scene always makes me chuckle. It doesn't matter how many times I've seen the movie, but when she opens the book and the wind comes and blows yeah. the fire out, and he's and like, like oh. that happens a lot around here. <laughs> like yeah. it was just stuff, such a self-aware moment. I'm like, it freaking cracks me up every time. You know, the funniest part in this movie for me is uh, when Jonathan's trying to get the, the car at the museum where all the uh, zombies are attacking mm-hmm. and uh, they start coming out and he's just, he just starts acting like a zombie. He's like, M-ho, oh, yeah. 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 All, all the other zombies just start like, like joining in. And then like, he just quietly like kind of you know, sneaks off, sneaks off. And like, what's so great about his character is he is that kind of like rap scallion. Like yeah. he, he's that, that con man basically. And uh, he uses that to, to great effect throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, like all the characters in this movie are just so well done. I just <laughs> I like I like that scene with Benny when he's trying to repel the zombie with all his different oh yeah holy symbols. This. It's like <laughs> I was like oh, back behind me Satan. You know, he yeah, holds like, up the cross. He holds yeah. up the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. He finally gets to the Star of David and 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 uh, Imhotep's like oh the language of the slaves. This one might be useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Benny, the, is and, there any? Is there another like? More hated character than Benny. Like, but we've I've always got to like Benny. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, I was, such, well, he's such a shit. It is just, it's just great. Kevin great. J. O'Connor, yeah. who plays Benny, like, he is, you know, he's so likable. And it's kind of funny because, like, him and Brendan Fraser, like, ad libbed a lot of their interactions together. Yeah. Like, that part in the boat when, when Brendan Fraser first grabs him, he's like, He's like, think of my children. <laughs> you don't have any children. Yeah. And that, like, like Kevin J. O'Connor came up with that line on the spot, and that was Brendan Fraser just on top of it. Like, like okay, like that's how he's going to play it. This yeah. is how I'm going to respond. <laughs> and, and, he, and, then he, and then he's like, well, I could have some <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Um, so, so like a lot of Benny's stuff, uh, especially with Brendan Fraser, w- was just like so good. Yeah. Like, like I, I just loved their interactions. Uh, together um, and uh, Brendan Fraser's character, um, you know, unfortunately the sequels did not do justice to these characters. Like I felt like they were kind of cash grab sequels. Oh, in yeah. fact, 
Stephen Summers is on record saying that the morning after uh, opening weekend, he got a call from Universal, and they're like, yeah, we're going to want another one of these. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he's like, well, okay, well, I, I put everything in this one, but hey, if you want to give me money to make another movie, I'm going to do it. You know what the second one's problem was? The uh, Scorpion King? No, they put a kid in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not entirely wrong with, with that in this case. Yeah. yeah. You know what I would have liked to have seen? I, I would have I would have liked to have seen the O'Connell character kind of like be his own franchise and kind of like take on the Universal Monsters. Oh, yeah. That would have been cool. That would have yeah. been kind of neat. So just kind of like leave the have the mummy be that chapter and be done with it and then move on then like to something else. Move on else. to like Dracula. Yeah, the Wolf, the Wolf he basically becomes like the new yeah. Van Helsing. Kind of, maybe. Oh, right. That would have been a, that would have been a cool. Idea. Yeah, I you like should, that. You should have been running Universal back. back hey, in the 90s. you know what? Brendan Fraser's kind of getting back on his game. You get him back in shape. We can he's, see an older it's, O'Connell. It's, it's time for a Travolta comeback. Yes. So I'm 100 percent down. I will watch another. Rick O'Connell movie, hundred percent. Yeah, you don't want to recast him with a younger actor. Nope. No. Chris Pine. No, no. He, I think he can just lose forty pounds. Yeah, he can get in shape again. again. Yeah, all right. No big deal. Yeah, he's losing weight's easy. Three. I'm just gonna eat less. <laughs> Live my normal out. life. <laughs> you, you know the scene that really sold me on this movie was um, where we see Evie in, in the library for the first time, and she's like you know, trying to catalog these books and she ends up knocking over all the, yeah. the shelves and like this domino effect. Yeah. Like, like to me, like I was like, okay, I know exactly what this movie is and I'm on board for it. But that one shot, so it was done in one take. If they had messed that shot up and you can kind of see at one point, one of the things almost doesn't fall all the way. <laughs> but like if they had messed that shot up, it would have taken them like an entire day to reset it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Put all the books back on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they only had like one try to get it right. You no, know, that that scene reminded me what I just thought of was like this. This movie has a very similar tone to the original Jumanji movie, where it had like those really serious moments where there's like a lot at stake, people are fighting for their lives, but it has that like really solid comedic element to it, where it just kind of lightens the mood all the way through. Yeah. So I just I, I kind of put those on the same level as far as that adventure comedy. You know, you know what was funny is so um, they couldn't shoot in Egypt um, when they were making this movie because of the political climate at the time. So like they had to shoot in Marrakesh, and um, unbeknownst to the actors, the studio had to take out kidnapping insurance on all of them. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and and the actors didn't find out about it until after the movie was completed. Jesus! And that's so ridiculous. like they were like, "Wait, were we in danger?" And they were like, "Yeah, <laughs> big time, <laughs> totally." <laughs> the actors were like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> But, but you're okay. You're but, right. but also like like having to shoot in the desert. So like they had like this special like hydration drink that they had to drink every two hours just to like keep from like dying basically. And um, a lot of the crew members got stung by scorpions while they were you know shooting in the desert. So like they had to be airlifted out constantly to go, really yeah to go to like the hospital. Scorp what kind of scorpions? Like sand scorpion. I don't know what type the of scorpion. Trying to get in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have bark scorpions here, and they're the most dangerous Listen, ones. Hippie boy. We we. <laughs> Kind of scorpions. I've been bit three times by bark scorpions. They are the most poisonous ones, and the, the bigger they are, the safer they are. Scorpidontalus. Scorpidontalus. Capra, <laughs> capra dubulabilis. Okay. I'm a professional scorpidontalus. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right there. Uh, oh, but, uh, also, Brendan Fraser almost died on this movie. <laughs> For real? For real. Like, so you remember What the, documentary did you watch? I didn't get any of this information. <laughs> uh, Ra Rachel Weiss mentioned this in, in an interview that she did. And basically, so you remember that scene where like he's, he's getting hanged? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh I know. Uh, I know yeah, what's okay. Yeah, so like ba basically during uh, one of the takes of that scene, uh, the harness that he was wearing uh, wasn't 
like tight enough. Well, it was riding up, so like he was actually like being hung, and he passed out. Oh my god! And, and, yeah, and like, and they noticed like when his face was changing color, they were like, "Oh, something's wrong." <laughs> so they took him down and, and like, you know, gave him CPR, resuscitated him, and like when he came back too, they were like, "Are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm fine." They're like, "Okay, good. Well, let, let's proceed." <laughs> take, take two. Yeah, and and uh, and uh, Rachel Weiss is sitting there like, "Oh my goodness, is this how?" Movies are supposed to go. <laughs> this seems rather dangerous. What does but, she do now? Oh, like she just got cast. She, yeah, she does movie. dramas. She's in uh, in Black Widow. She's the mom in Black Widow. Really? Yeah. yeah. And interesting. I don't, I don't know what type of deal with the devil she made, but she she gets better looking as she gets older. It's the same one that Keanu Reeves has. Yeah. And Tom Cruise. No, she's gorgeous. Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great movie. Love it. Final thoughts, Kadish. Uh, this is one of those fantastic popcorn movies. Um, it's a classic of the adventure genre. I don't even look at it as a horror movie. I, I think oh, it's, no. it's more of an adventure film. And uh, they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah, this movie's got a little bit of everything in it. Yeah. It's a great yeah. movie. I want, like I said, I want to see it in the theater. It again. was a lightning strike. Because like I said, um, Stephen Summers, he's the poor man's Sam Raimi. He just... <laughs> He has it seems not, like an insult. <laughs> it, well, I mean, like he he hasn't made a good movie since this movie, in we'll, my opinion. We'll see what Sam Raimi does with the MCU movies. He's doing Doctor Strange, right? Uh, yeah, 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 he's doing the, the so. Doctor Strange sequel, and it was it was kind of funny because so Stephen Summers' movie after this one was um, uh, Van Helsing, mm-hmm. or it might have been after the Mummy too. At some point, he was doing Van Helsing, mm-hmm. and at the time that Van Helsing was being going through pre production and casting. I was doing my movie with Jeremy Renner and Jeremy was up for the role of Dracula in Van Helsing. And so like he, like he'd show up to lunch with me, uh, <laughs> dressed in like, you know, like vampire makeup, and this <laughs> long black trench coat. I was, I was like, is this a new look for you? And he's like, oh, I'm auditioning for, uh, uh, Dracula. <laughs> going to the goth club. Afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my final thoughts on this movie is just, it's such a fun, uh, adventure movie. I love Rick O'Connell. I love his character and, and, and his attitude towards the, supernatural that he faces even though he's like such a grounded character and uh it scratches that like mythology you know crazy supernatural itch that i have sometimes about this in the ancient egypt stuff it's the same line with like tomb raider indiana jones it's right up there it's i love it all right uh moving on before we do i want to remind everybody you guys can go to our youtube channel Go to saltynearvideo.com. Check us out there. We have our videos there. Our podcast is split up into segments that you can listen to, uh, uh, like five or ten minutes each. And uh, we also do a special showing on Saturdays for the new Star Trek TV series, Lower Decks. Uh, Every Saturday, we sit down and we discuss the newest episodes. So subscribe, like, go there, check us out on Saturdays, and check out our videos and support the podcast. And leave comments. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you want to hear about, and we'll take it into consideration. Also, I'd like to encourage everyone that if you're enjoying the podcast... Please go leave us a review on either Spotify or iTunes or whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. Those reviews do help people kind of get into the the show. So if you don't want to buy our merchandise or (laughs) or become a patron or even subscribe to our YouTube channel, it's a very easy way to support the podcast if uh, if you're so inclined. All right. I forgot what the last movie is that I picked. Oh, National National Treasure. Treasure. (laughs) Okay. We're talking, this is my least favorite out of the three, but really? uh, yeah, it's still fun, but yeah, it's okay. not, it's not up there. Anyway, we're talking National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. Kadish, why don't you set the table? What is this movie all about? So this movie is about a historian who must steal the Declaration of Independence in a race to find a legendary Templar treasure before a team of unscrupulous mercenaries does. This was directed by John Turtletob, who recently directed The Meg. The writers were Jim Jim Koof and Cormac Wiberly. 
Um, it was it stars Nicolas Cage, Diane Kruger, and Justin Bartha of Geely fame, along with Sean Bean, Harvey Keitel, and John Voight. Uh, it was released in November of 2004 on a budget of $100 million. It grossed $347 million and has a runtime of 131 minutes. It's got, got a great cast. Is this the only movie that Sean Bean doesn't die in? I was just going to say that. He well, does well, this is die. one of the few movies that Sean Bean doesn't die in. If you remember, Jupiter Ascending did not kill John Sean Bean off. Oh, okay. So if you watched our Jupiter Ascending podcast. <laughs> he got to keep his head in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the few few movies where Sean Bean is not killed, but he is arrested. Yes, he does get arrested. He's the bad guy, which yeah. I thought he served fairly well as the, as the menacing presence. He wasn't presence. a really super bad bad guy though, right? I, he was just I, kind I of a know. selfish dick. Yeah, more. kind of. He wasn't like an evil person. You know what, makes, what made this movie stand out to me when I was watching it, um, you know, for the podcast again? Um, and th- this is true for all the movies that we've talked about in this podcast so far is that the bad guys in this movie were very, very competent, mm. which is what I like. It felt like the bad guys did everything right in this movie for the most part, like I'd say 90%. And that really kind of is the hallmark of a good movie when you have competent bad guys who keep mm-hmm. upping the stakes and the obstacles for the heroes to go up against. I mean, we had that in Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. We had that in The Mummy. The bad guys were always very formidable, and it forces the good guys to kind of rise you know, above rise above it, and it actually adds stakes to to the adventure scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I was watching rewatching this movie for the podcast, I was very impressed that because because I didn't remember it being all that great when I first saw it back in two thousand four. But upon rewatch, I was like, you know what? This is actually a pretty decent movie. And it's, and it's because the bad guys led by Sean Bean are good. Although Sean Bean has terrible hair in this movie. Yeah. He has terrible hair. This is the blonde mullet kind of yeah, thing going on. Kind of thing. I don't know. It's it, a little it, weird. It, it reminded me of, um, of Patrick Swayze's hairdo in Point Break. Yeah. <laughs> like it was really bad. It was you know, off. I don't know why they went that direction with it. Was that his natural hair? Or do you think no, that was like no. extensions? I don't know. That's weird. Anyway. Let's talk about Sean Bean's hair for a little while longer. <laughs> you know, no, I, me and Jude had a big long conversation. Did today. you really? Yeah, yeah that's funny. Because I, I asked him, I asked her, I was like, "Do you think that's his real hair?" She's like, "No, no." That's what we're missing this week. The her perspective. Yeah, the yeah ambassador of estrogen. Missing, missing, missing some Jude. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, we're actually a man down. We were supposed to have someone fill in for her, but he um, couldn't make it. Unfortunately, even though he watched all the movies, <laughs> he was prepared to do it. Like he just at the last minute, something came up, and he's like, "I can't make it." Anyway. Um, so, uh, Vader, what did you think about this movie? Have, did you see it in theaters so, when so it came out? For full disclosure here. Okay. This is the first time I've seen this movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I was actually kind of excited when you picked this movie because I had not seen it yet. And um, I enjoyed it. I had a great time with this movie. You know, it, it I can see why you picked it because it scratches that little conspiracy that little theory. Conspiracy theory. Yeah, for sure. Head. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was super fun. I, I liked how one clue led to another, and I liked how the clues – gelled with each other and, and and the payoff at the end was really cool yeah, so, yeah really, lots, lots of fun yeah, yeah. I, I, that's exactly and, the and, reason and, and i, and I like good heist movies and this this was at its core it was a heist movie you know so i was discussing it, uh the heist with my wife when yeah. we were watching this because we watched it together as a family i'm like hey babe I, I like there's an actual movie that we can all watch together for the podcast like so we sat down we watched it with the kids and um she was like she was like do you think do you think you really could steal the Declaration of Independence? And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even not convinced even. that the one that they show is actually the real one. Like, I really doubt that it's on display. Well, you know, it's like it's the, the real one is either way more secure 
than what they showed in the movie. Yeah. Or, or it's just completely not. And I kind of feel like it is. It's like, I know these heist movies, like, like with the oceans 11 where they rob the Bellagio. Yeah. It's like, there's so much bullshit. In that movie. It's, <laughs> it's just incredible. You know, I, I know the behind the scenes stuff of, of these mythical vaults and all this kind of, it's, it's nonsense. It's yeah. absolute Hollywood fabrication. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what, how they thought up of all this stuff with the declaration of independence, or maybe it's true. Cause you know, they do some of that stuff. I, I doubt it's works. true, but I'm talking about with like the, the gas treated thermal, um, oh, regulated, regulated like, box that it's sitting yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they stuff, would have to know, keep so. it like very, very controlled environment right. so it doesn't like right. rot or anything like that because it's a 250 year old piece of paper. But yeah. I just don't. I find it hard to believe that it's in anybody's visual sight. Like I think I feel like it's just rolled up in a in a secured vault somewhere, and in, in the one that we see out it's probably there. fake. Yeah, it's probably just the fake yeah. one. But I just I love the idea that they could. Like uh, the one reason why I picked this movie is uh, be, besides it just being in this genre is I love the idea that like, what if it's more of that? What if like, what if this is all true? What if there was some kind of hidden message? Cause there's a lot of weird messaging on like our money and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And it's like, why is there a one eyed? There's, there's entire schools and TV shows and movies yeah. and series based on the, uh, the pyramid symbol alone. Yeah, and the dollar yeah. bill, the you Illuminati know? So, and all this yeah, like crazy all stuff. stuff. And the, ne- the, the Templars and all that. Like I just, it's just plausible enough to be this great piece of entertainment and like, like to, to watch this person kind of navigate I, I through join, history. I want to go join the, the Masons or some, some secret society club, but my wife won't <laughs> let me. So, so, you know, like the whole conspiracy angle on, on this movie. So, this is a Jerry Bruckheimer film. Uh, he was the producer of it. And around this, like a couple years before this, like the Da Vinci Code book came out and became this huge runaway hit. And it got option to be made into a movie. And so the Da Vinci Code was like a super hot property at the time. And that's all about like this big conspiracy, like, yeah. you know, using history. That was, like that was the my fourth choice for this week. <laughs> no, yeah. And um, so basically um, Jerry Bruckheimer wanted to cash in on this craze. And he was like, why don't we make our own Da Vinci code, but make it based around America instead of Europe. And that was kind of the Genesis for this movie. And around this time, this was like at the height of the Bruckheimer, Nicholas cage Alliance. Because <laughs> if you remember, um, you know, Nicholas cage, after he won the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas, um, he got into like the, the big budget action spectacle game and he was making $20 million a movie. Uh, you know, uh, he was doing a lot of those with Bruckheimer. So Con Air, um, Gone in 60 Seconds, stuff like that. So uh, Bruckheimer basically was like, well, I'm going to tap Nicolas Cage to be in this. And, you know, he's a good good actor. He can, you know, bring it to, uh, um, to light. And um, uh, that was kind of like the genesis. But Jude wanted me to point out to you, Alex, that this movie is basically adult Goonies. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? She said, this is Goonies without the kids. How so? Well, I mean, like it's, you know, uh, a a group of uh, people searching for rich stuff, uh, following clues and treasure. But I actually wanted to point out, so like Jude wanted me to remind you of that. But I wanted to point out that this movie is the exact same story as Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, if you really look at it. So, like, l- l- let me let me take you through my notes, because, like, when I was watching this, I was like... Yeah, what's the comparison? Uh, I, was, I was like, this is the same same movie. So, like, it starts off with our main character as a young boy setting up the stage. Okay. Um, and then it cuts to him as an adult finishing that that thing, uh, that uh, adventure that he started as a, as a child. Um, 
the female lead is Austrian, blonde, and they even look alike. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, Diane Kruger looks just like uh, the girl from The Last Crusade. The likeness is scary, in fact. You have a rich benefactor who betrays the hero, and they're later forced to team up with them in order to actually get the, tre- the treasure at the end. Sean Beam. Yes, Sean, mm-hmm. Sean Beam and um, D- Donovan. Donovan. Um, the estranged father who ends up bonding with his uh, son over long-lost treasure. Oh, yeah. She's not wrong. Uh, the secret society that's sworn to protect the treasure. So you had Harvey Keitel, who was a member of the Freemasons, and he was secretly... Yeah, that was a cool little Yeah, he was, he was secretly working. But like if you look at... like They had that whole um, Order of the Cruciform Sword, who was trying to prevent uh, Indy from getting to the Grail. I thought those were nuns. Uh, well, that, that that's a warrior. Nun. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like when in, in Indiana Jones, when they said the order of the cruciform sword, me and Jude just looked at each other and we were like, warrior nun. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like if you look at yeah, they're, Indiana they're, Jones and Last Crusade and National Treasure, they're almost the same movie. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's why I like it. Could be. But it has it's it's steeped but, but here, in, in the, the American thing, yeah. culture though. It doesn't matter cool. because it's still fun. Yeah, it's still a lot of fun. I'm not saying so, it's a bad thing that it's no. no, it's it's I mean it's a basic treasure hunt plot. I mean I think that you could look at any treasure hunt movie. That's what we do. We like to watch movies and TV shows that are about the same theme and stuff that we've watched a million times before. Yeah. <laughs> I like I I mean I, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I liked all the characters. Nicolas Cage I thought was not crazy. He, he wasn't crazy. Yeah, he was surprisingly <laughs> like he didn't have that moment where he was like uh that crazy Nicolas Cage. He wasn't, he just, he was, just didn't have that weird look in his eye. Yeah. He was going <laughs> like to freaking freak out or anything. Yeah. They, they didn't let him go off script. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't know what else to say about this movie, man. I just, I really enjoyed it. I liked um, one of my favorite things about it is that they were going after, they ended up going after the, uh, the treasure of Alexandria, the library of Alexandria that burned down hundreds, you know, thousand years ago or whatever. Um, everybody considered it to be lost. Like there's nothing left of it, but when they found this treasure that was hidden by the American forefathers. And, the, the, and, and there was a real, library. yeah, it was a real library that burned when the, when yeah. it was the Egypt that came in. And so um, it's under the water. It's part of the Harbor now. So Atlantis. No, <laughs> Atlantis is in Spain. Atlantis is in Africa. It's in Spain. I found it. It's in the. Uh, we, we need to watch. There's there's a documentary out there. Okay. We need to watch. See, this is that. Wait, it. you've watched a documentary? Dude, I watch all <laughs> kinds of documentaries. <laughs> I watch documentaries like when I go to sleep every day. We need to have a documentary week. Yeah. Ancient aliens. That's ancient aliens. Yeah. Ancient. <laughs> Do we get George Sukalos on the show. I love that show. <laughs> no, we need to get Graham. It's Hancock. Real. What are you talking about? <laughs> we need to get Graham Hancock on the show, man. I freaking talk. Oh, about he's that guy. a man too. I love Graham yeah. Hancock. He's awesome. Yeah. I have no idea who you're Randall. Because, Randall. Because Randall. These are real people. These are real Indiana Joneses. <laughs> yes, they are. They really are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson are yeah, like the yeah. Indiana Joneses of our age, and I'd love to For sit sure. down and talk with them. But uh, anyway, anyway, national treasure. treasure. I don't know. I feel like we're kind of stuck. Like we talked about, I mean, it's like you said, it's it's a a fun adventure film that you can watch with your little kids or your mom and dad. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a Disney movie. That's what we watched it. Disney plus. Oh, it really is a Disney movie. Huh? Yeah. 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 But uh, I had a great time with this movie. It was a great two hours just to sit back, chill and have fun and, 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 Forget about the didn't world for didn't a break while. any new ground. There nope. was like very minimal CGI, I, if they, any. They, they, it hooked me from the beginning when they went were in the Arctic with the ship, mm-hmm. you know. And it it's like a, it was a competent film. Yeah, it was like, fun. like they they didn't have any like big mistakes, nothing egregious. It was just you know it, it was a well made movie. It's made me. I want to see the sequel now, and it's yeah. it's on Disney Plus too. Book, Book of Shadows, it. I think. yeah, something I don't know. Yeah. But I'll, I'll I'll watch it if I ever get a chance to. So. Okay. 
I don't know. I don't want to. We don't have to like beat a dead horse. Yeah, but no, you know, what's we, a fun fact about this movie, though. Go ahead. Uh, the good guys in the movie always use Google, and the bad guys always use Yahoo. Because <laughs> Yahoo sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, in 2004, Yahoo was actually still a thing. Does anyone still use dial-up, do you think? No. Maybe um, out in the maybe, country. Maybe in Canada or something. You, you know what's funny? In, in like 20, in, <laughs> Shout out to all the Canadian fans <laughs> out there. Your dial-ups. <laughs> in, in 20 more years, there's going to be like a national treasure thing where they're using dial-up modems and stuff like that to uncover clues. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> So that's a that's a good point though. Like that's a great way to finish off the podcast. Is like, do you think that these movies still have a place in modern cinema, or has this genre been explored so much that it's like it's not really able to break any new ground? No, there's always a place for always. good adventure, family friendly movies. Do you think it's best to set these, these, in these, modern times or like in the 1930s? Either or. Yeah, I, sure. I prefer my. I, I like period adventures. Yeah, you know, like it, like modern technology just makes things a little bit too easy. You know, you can get into like. Laura Croft movies, that kind of yeah. stuff. And mm. so, yeah, I, I mean, love those, those are those are the same kind of vein as these movies are. Yeah. I love the Laura Croft movies. Yeah, but but you know what I think kind of makes stuff like The Mummy and Indiana Jones and even National Treasure stand out is that there's a puzzle element to them. That sure. There's like where they have to uncover clues and they have to figure out what the clues mean and then the clues lead to other more complicated clues. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that in addition to the adventure, there's that kind of uh, mental stimulation to it where it, there's a mystery involved and you're like, oh, I, w- I want to figure out the mystery along with these characters. And, there, and there's always some kind of cool key. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but more than anything, there's a fantastic group dynamic. Like, um, y- you know, uh, we, we didn't talk about it when we were talking about Indiana <gasps> Jones, but, um, y- you know, the, um, the older guy who uh, kind of goes along with them, Marcus Brody, mm-hmm. I believe is the character's name. Got Lushen Jean Museum. <laughs> Yeah, he'll we're, we're, blend in. He'll mix in with the crowd. Yeah, exactly. He knows forty-seven languages. <laughs> all, the all the customs. It's like, yeah, and and, oh, and then it, 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 it does anybody right speak English? Yeah, it cuts right to him being like, "Does anyone speak English?" <laughs> <laughs> but but like like you have like these characters who are so fully realized in and of themselves, but also interact great with each other, and, and you saw that in all three of these movies. So like it's a combination of a variety of factors because like when we watched Sahara, I didn't get that. Oh, I did. One hundred percent. See, I didn't. I didn't either. See, Sahara. I'm kind of. Hmm. I'm kind of off the reservation. Like, like Sahara movie. should have been included in the, the this type of genre, but for some reason the characters didn't really jive together. Like Steve Zahn's character was the only interesting character. Yeah, in that I, movie. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, Sahara kind of like wants to be in this yeah. group of movies, but it's not even close. Hmm. Yeah, it really like, is. Like it, it has all the the standard chase adventure scenes, but there's nothing kind of you know attached to it it's like you just don't care about the outcome it's like oh here's uh matthew mcconaughey with his shirt off all right all right all right you know it's like okay (laughs) and you you should write reviews for movies yeah (laughs) and even the clues that they were following in sahara weren't all that engaging or interesting because they just kind of stumbled onto them you know so like Mm. you know like sahara is a great example of this type of genre done poorly yeah these three movies are great examples of of you know how how you do them right you're you're 100% correct. All right. Well, I guess I'm the odd man out because I, I completely disagree. Because this, <laughs> this was, this movie was in my list for uh, treasure adventure movies. Uh, but you guys wanted to do big box office bombs, so it got included in that. But yeah, I just, I love Sarah. Anything in this genre where. You love Sahara, but hate Goonies. Oh my God. 
And Lost Boys. And Lost Boys. I don't hate Lost Boys. I hate one element. <laughs> it's irrelevant. Lost Boys. <laughs> Your opinion is irrelevant. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's a great way for our listeners to end the podcast. <laughs> Who gives a shit what Salty thinks? All right. That's the theme of every podcast. <laughs> Until you change your mind, your opinions are irrelevant. Sir. Okay. That's fine. Think, assimilate. Obey. Yeah, that's right. Resistance is futile. We we have another uh, T-shirt that says Obey, right? Yes, we do. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. They live T-shirt says Obey, and it has a little guy with a mask on. That's good. I might actually buy that one. Good, do it, please. I want to buy the Ever Been with a Big Man T-shirt. I need that one. Yeah, I need the whole Vader collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get the Vader collection. <laughs> yeah, I want the presidential campaign. Anyway, if you guys, we need to make a T-shirt that says "This is stupid." <laughs> I could do that very easily, but it can't be written sideways. No, it'll just be completely straight. No, this should be written sideways. <laughs> Times. And big blocky letters <laughs> that are hard to read. <laughs> this is stupid. Because cause it is stupid. Yeah. That's so meta. If you guys want to go <laughs> and buy some of our merch, go to saltynerdstore.com. We've got all kinds of cool shirts, and I guess that's going to be the next one that will be there. So this is stupid <laughs> sideways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the end of the podcast for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, go check these movies out. I highly recommend all three of them. Let's go around the table. <laughs> Matthew Kadish, where can they find you? At Matthew Kadish, K-A-D-I-S-H on Twitter. And uh, if you want to check out my books, go to kadishbooks.com. I am, in fact, checking out one of your books on my trip this week. I have a 10-hour flight, and I'm going to binge read your book. A 10-hour flight? Where the hell are you going? Marrakesh or something? No, I, gotta, I have a layover in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Which book? Uh, Earthman Jack, the first one. You know, you know it's funny. My, my sister-in-law, um, she was uh, chatting with Jude on Jude's birthday, and uh, uh, that we were doing FaceTime. And she has just started Earthman Jack, and she's about halfway through it. And she was like, I, I want to tell you, like, I'm so impressed with your book. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. It has, like, it has such a, like, just the first two chapters and the introduction to Jack as a character, like, it feels like Back to the Future. It, like so much, it's like Marty McFly, but a little bit edgier. And I, I, I'm having so much fun with yeah, it so you far. You know, so. with the Earthman Jack series, I basically took all the movies that I grew up loving, mushed them up into a ball, and said, "What would this be like if Steven Spielberg made it into there a movie?" Go. And, it's and, and, it feels like that, and that's Just, what the Earthman Jack series is. Yeah, it really does. Amazon.com, like right? Yeah, yep. and we're we're going to be working on uh, getting an audiobook version of it made. That awesome. same guy who did Rick and Berenger, yeah, fantastic voiceover guy. Yeah, Reese David, it's fan, Great. fantastic voice actor right on all right vader where can they find you on the socials what uh, are you doing uh, i'm i'm working real world and i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> it sucks i'm the only one here that has an actual job right now yeah right I, now i hate it i have an actual job well, i have true. many actual jobs that's actually that's true i just don't have to clock in i have to go punch in for the man <laughs> yeah it sucks but uh um at matt vader 74 you can find me on twitch and twitter and some on instagram and apparently people like to watch me do reaction videos on youtube now that's a thing. So anyway, yeah, Twitch is what I'm focusing on right now while I'm uh, not watching movies and TV shows for this thing and, and uh, we're having fun over there. Playing mostly World of Warcraft, getting ready for the expansion to come out. And, right on. Yeah, if, if anyone out there wants so. to help support the Matt Vader Retirement Fund, right. uh, all of our Patreon and uh, merchandise sales and stuff like that go towards getting, Matt, Matt quitting his job, Alex quitting his job, and being able to do this stuff full time. 
Yep. Any help is much appreciated. <laughs> Seriously. Like yeah. we're dying. We'd love to be able to do this full time. So if you guys want to support us and help us out and shout out to our patrons that are active right now, we've got um, uh, Haas boy down there in Australia. We've got Nick, who's a great supporter and a newest supporter is uh, price of reason. Thank you guys so much for mm, Roe. And oh, oh my God, how did I forget about Roe? Ro. Sorry. Ro, he's outside Patreon. He's like a he's like a on the DL. He's not on the Patreon. No, he he just sends me money directly <laughs> and buys, buys me stuff. I'll send him my email address. Okay, PayPal address. Right? He'll probably send you like thirty freaking Funko mail. Pops. I got some mail from him this week. I I, I got I, I got a cool little uh, pen signed by Dominic Pace. Seri- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that so, stuff too. Yeah. And seriously, I just I, real quick before I forget, I wanted to uh, send out a sincere thank you to our supporters. Um, I had my Mandalorian helmet was uh, was a little bit too hot here in Vegas for that thing, and it melted hotter, hotter than the devil's butthole. Uh, yep, and it melted and it fell apart. And it's uh, really my it's my, been over 110 degrees all week. <laughs> my patrons actually got, went and pulled some money together and, and purchased me a new one. That's very nice. Though. It was super nice of them. Like it was far beyond anything I could ever ask for. Hopefully by you know next summer you'll have it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know now. I know now <laughs> what not what car. not to do. Yeah. Don't don't leave it anywhere. So it's gonna be that one will be special. I'm gonna try and fix the one that's broken. And if I can, I, cool. I told Nick. I go. Don't tell him. <laughs> Ship it here, and we'll do a big thing on the show on video, and we'll make Salty cry <laughs> live on TV. <laughs> And it would have been awesome, but he he didn't do it. No, he wanted to make sure that I wanted the same one, which was very super kind of you guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate (laughs) it. Uh, All right. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day. Peace. Peace.